Three. Mafia. <laughs> we made it back again. Here we are with a decidedly less beard. <laughs> Makes it more aerodynamic. That's right. That's what I'm going for. I got a big race coming up. <laughs> Just kidding. So we have a new new member inducted into the Mafia. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. I am Sophie Haskins. Um, during the day, I work at GitHub on sort of internal developer tools around Kubernetes. Um, but at night, I often like to play with a lot of the workstations and stuff from the 90s that I never got to use um, because I wasn't old enough. And I write about that sometimes on pizzabox.computer. Um, otherwise, I make really bad takes on Twitter. I think that that's actually my main activity. Hot takes, RS. I, I know the world of hot takes as well, but also like your blog is actually one of my favorite things on the planet. Um, and so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about like what made you decide to kind of buy all these old like Spark and Unix boxes and how do you like decide which one to get next or like how to restore it or what's broken, all that. So the way that I got started, like a lot of ideas like this is I was drunk one night and I was browsing eBay as I was going to bed and I saw a next station for not a lot of money. It was like a hundred dollars or something. And I think that's actually what they go for. Um, but I, you know, I was like, wow, I've always wanted one of those. You know, I, I think when I was first getting into the Unix side of things. Like I, I grew up in a, in a family of teachers and, and I grew up using Mac. So I was very familiar with that world. And so when I, you know, first started getting into, you know, programming and into Linux and things like next and the history of, you know, next step and, and the hardware that they have was something that I learned about. And so it's, it's been something that I've always wanted to, to try out. Right. And I was, you know, a little tipsy and really tired and I just kind of bought it. And, and I, I get this machine and I can't use it. It, like, I can plug it in, but it doesn't have a power button. The keyboard and like the one I have doesn't even use ADB mice like Macs do. Some of the later Next boxes did, but like this used some weird proprietary thing. Um, it doesn't have a normal monitor port. It doesn't even have a weird monitor port that you can get adapters for. There's no real way to actually use it, right? And I, I'm feeling kind of dumb. There's like little boxes that, that came with them. Um, they call it a sound box and it kind of takes the monitor port and turns it into like an actual on off button and sound and keyboard and mouse and monitor. And they're really expensive and this feels silly. Right. And I'm like, you know, I have all these weird Arduinos and whatever lying around in my apartment that, you know, you buy me and you say, I'm going to learn something about microcontrollers and you make a couple of LEDs blink and then, and then I, you know, move on. Right. Cause I don't know a lot about electronics. Right. But now that's a project, right? I was like, I could, I can probably figure out how to make an adapter. Is right? there more drinking involved yet or is that? Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, I think that this is the only one that I got drunk and, and did something. I just ended up with this pizza box. But, but like there's, you know, I did a lot of research and like it's gonna be hard, right? And I don't really know what I'm doing and there's gonna be some weird signal processing and stuff and, but it feels really fun. And I, you know, I was really enjoying doing all this research and 
I kind of liked the the shape of it. You know, I, I live in New York. I don't have a lot of space. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of other computers that are kind of the same shape. And so literally, I just started thinking, you know, like while I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to adapt this next box. And I, t I haven't actually done this project yet, right? Like I, I did a lot of research and then just like I, I haven't even, oh, there's so many like un unpulled strings in here. But I... Uh, I started making a spreadsheet of all, all the workstations I could find with their dimensions. Um, I think I even have it somewhere on here. Like literally just going to Wikipedia, starting from workstation. Okay, who made things and thought that they were a workstation vendor? Like, okay, what models did they make? How tall were they? And, and I decided completely arbitrarily that a pizza box was something that was shorter than 10 centimeters. Um, and I made a list of what qualified and I started looking out for them on eBay and stuff. And I, uh, actually a friend gave me my first sun box. That was the second pizza box. I must've been tweeting about, you know, being interested in digging into them or something. And he said, Oh, you know, I have this, you know, spark station that I bought when I left sun and I never use it. Like, do you want it? So I, I went and I picked it up and brought it home. And then, you know, you start making all these eBay searches and watching for, you know, different kinds of boxes and stuff. And it's just kind of accumulated. But my, my broad goal there, right, like it started from this next computer that I had never used before and, and wanted to kind of get a feel for what it was like. And it kind of evolved into this, like, I want to know what using all these computers was like. They all influenced a lot of the stuff that I do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like, you know, the modern, you know, web infrastructure stack, right? Like it, it runs on Linux because a lot of people were using Unix at some point and they liked it and they preferred to build things that way, right? Like what, what were the tools they were using? What, what was crappy about their environment? What was awesome, right? You can look at Next Step in particular and see a lot of stuff in OS 10. You know, you can look at, you know, Solaris and see things that, you know, influenced where, uh, you know, server Linuxes went. And, you know, maybe there's some other really good ideas in there. Like there's definitely things that we didn't bring along, right? What, what sucked? What didn't we bring? What, what was awesome and just no one has really pulled into the future, right? It's all this nostalgia and like, but I never got to use them because I'm not old enough, right? And so it's Wh like- Which systems did you get operational? Did you, did you get them all the way powered up and- Almost all of the ones I have, except for the next station actually work. So I'm, I'm looking at, you know, my shelves of things over here. I've got a couple of HP boxes. So I have an HP um, Motorola box and an HP PA Risk box. And those both run HPUCKS, which is a, a trip and a half. Um, I have two SGI boxes. I have an Indy and an Indigo 2. And those two both boot into IREX. And I can do the, the file manager from Jurassic Park. Explore. Oh my God, yes, I love that. I put that in a container. Yeah. <laughs> So if you, if you ever want to run it on an extremely not a container, um, cool. you know, I've got the original MIPS workstations for that. I have a few Macs. Um, one of them is running AUX, which is really weird. Um, just this Apple Unix from, from the 90s. Um, I've got, let's see, I have a, two Spark stations and a later Sunbox. Um, weirdly, the newer Sunbox is the one that I can't get to a desktop right now. Um, it's the only thing I have that uses IDE hard drives, and I don't have one that's small enough. 
so weird. How much power does this all use? Because like Con Ed marked my house as like a grow house. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't leave them on. Oh, it would okay. all be very loud. So like when I, you know, when I have some time in the evening, I'll I'll take one out. I'll you know set it up, plug in a bunch of stuff, and you know play with it. But then but then they go off, right? I I think you know Jess, you've you've mentioned this with me before on Twitter, right? Like I I don't. I don't want the security hole for one thing of, of these, you know, random computers that haven't been patched in 20 years. Right. Like, yeah, who knows, but, but also, yeah, they're loud and they use a lot of power. So I, I don't, they're not plugged in. Nice. What are some of the things you learn? Cause you, you have this kind of philosophical thing about all these things that we left in the past reminiscing about them. Is there anything that stands out that's like, Oh, it'd be cool if we could do this thing now. Yeah, I think the biggest one is that it seems like it used to be more that you knew what you bought a computer for, right? It feels like a lot of the earlier, like in more towards the 80s end of the spectrum, the people who were using these computers weren't like me. They weren't necessarily software engineers. They were scientists working on like physics simulations, right? Or they were working in industrial things, working on uh, industrial control, or they were, you know, the, the SGI boxes, right? People were doing 3D graphics or they were doing video editing, right? And like, they had a purpose and a lot of them seem to, you know, have become programmers through the process, right? But, you know, because these things were so expensive, people, people bought them to do a thing, right? And I feel like as computing has become more commodified, I couldn't tell, like, I don't know. If you look at a modern server vendor's webpage, how do they stratify their products, right? If I go to, if I go to, I'm just going to pull this up here. If I go to hpe.com, they're, they organize their stuff based on like words that mean nothing, right? True, actually. I tried to buy a computer the other day and it was very confusing. Yeah. And it's just like, well, like, which one is this? Why, why would I pick this one or why would I pick that one? And, and they're all words that are, you know, not comparable. They just, ugh, it's, it's so weird, right? And it feels like it was more that people knew why they wanted a computer to do a thing, right? And, and I think that that shows, you can see that in the UI, I think, because the UI isn't slow. That's what really got me, is I booted up all these old computers and they're super responsive. Wait, and like, you know, that makes no sense, right? But it's because they needed to be, because peop- humans were interacting with them, right? So like the proportion of like, I guess at some level, like engineering effort into making a UI that's responsive, right? The way that, you know, the old Macs, you know, handle all of their windowing, right? Or, or, you know, how CDE on all these Unix boxes is like pretty simple, right? And, and you know, cause it's gotta be fast and it's gotta be responsive, right? because people are doing stuff. And, and I think that like we've abstracted a lot of our computers to the degree where like, I don't know, man, it's a computer, right? Yeah, you probably have a Raspberry Pi kicking around somewhere, right? Why? For, for what, right? Like I, I have an original one that I bought and I never did anything interesting with it. In fact, oh man, one of my friends, she had a party where we, you know, a bunch of us were like, oh, we're gonna have a hack day. We're gonna work on Raspberry Pis, right? We connected them all to Wi-Fi. That's, that's what we did the whole day. It was like, how do I get this thing working on the Wi-Fi? But like, we didn't have any projects we wanted to do, right? Like, it's just a computer. 
And that's cool, right? You can put a computer in anything. But it seems like a lot of these older ones, when, when computing power was more scarce, when it was more expensive, it was a lot clearer why you had done it. Yeah, that's interesting. I also like have a weird question because I don't know exactly how you get these things, but um, are the hard drives like hard drives that someone else used before? Like, have you found like files from other people or anything? I have. <laughs> um, so most of them come with a hard drive in them, not all of them. Um, and like, that's actually like a big part of, you know, if it's not working right, right? Like hard drives die over time and most of the hard drives that have come in these have been nearly dead or, 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 you know, die after I turn them on a few times, right? Whatever's, I don't know, even know what wears out. Maybe it's the bearings in them or, or if they've been jostled around too much, but, um, but most of the ones with hard drives have had like some files on them. And so I think the best one is I bought an external hard drive enclosure it's a, it's a Sun branded one, right? But it was just, you know, I needed an external hard drive enclosure so I could, uh, some of these boxes don't have internal hard drive base. Um, and there's two awesome things about it. One is it appears to be from the company that John Bonet Ramsey's father worked, owned, Whoa. which is just really odd and like totally random and that's not who I bought it from on eBay but there's an asset tag I don't remember the name of the company but there's an asset tag on it and I looked up that company and like it goes to his Wikipedia page and I was like what's crazy I don't know but the hard drive was not from them the hard drive that came in it which was not listed in the sale right they didn't even opened it or like plugged it in or anything but the hard drive in it it was Amiga formatted and I downloaded some programs to, to mount it and, and see what was on there. And it was someone's like development projects. It looked like it, like from the comments in the code, it was like a two person team working on music software for the Amiga. And like, <laughs> yeah. And they had directories of like versions cause they didn't, I guess they didn't have version control software. And it was like- was a different time. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was wild. I even, I, it took me a while. I think I found both of them on LinkedIn. I, I never, I forgot to message them though, but I wanted to be like, Hey, do you want, is this something you would want? Like, did you save the files? Yeah. I've been, I actually, I put together a little PC down here that I uh, threw in a, a SCSI card and, and like a, a hot swap bay and stuff so that it's a little bit easier to just image them when I get them. Your little file like, server. Yeah. So then you have a computer, you have a hard drive. How easy is it to find software for these old systems? It depends. Um, weirdly, one of the easiest ones to get software for is if you have a VAX. So I, I have this one uh, DEC VAX and they have a program, the hobbyist program, where you can email someone at HP now and say like, I'm a hobbyist. I want to, I want to use VMS on this fax and they'll, they give, they email you a license file, which is just a script in DCL, the VAX shell, and then a password to an FTP site where you can download ISOs. And like, this is a formal program that they've run for a really long time. That's really easy. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised that that's the one for which it's easy to find software, right? Some of it's on like BitTorrent and stuff, right? If you search for old versions of Solaris, there's a lot of them. 
um, is not everything. Um, there's this, for like the HPs, there's this guy in Australia who runs the HP museum and has like, it's, it's wild. He has so much HP stuff and like, it's not available for download on the website, but if you email him, he'll, like there's a list of all the software he's got. And it's like, oh yeah, can, can I have that? Oh yeah, the guy in Australia. Yeah, right? It's, it's amazing. Like there's so much information on there. Um, it's, it's weird because like, I, some of it's on the internet archive. Um, someone's uploaded a whole bunch of SGI OS CDs to the internet archive. Um, but it's really spotty and you know, I think it would be kind of cool. I don't know, I don't know anything about law, right? But it seems like it would be kind of dope to like... Who needs it? No, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll just go, go make a server on Sealand, right? But like, I kind of want to buy the rights to... I mean, I, I don't know if I could afford that, right? But like the notion of buying the rights to like these old defunct platforms, software, and just being like, I'm just gonna, like, it's for people to use if they can find them, right? No one can legitimately use anything made by SGI in 2019. It, it costs too much electricity. You know, like there, there's just nothing of value that you, you're not competing with anything that, you know, HP who currently owns the rights, right? Yeah. Do they have a CD somewhere of just like all the masters of all this stuff, right? Do they have the source? Do they have, you know, do they have an archive? Like why? Just like give it up. Cause yeah. like, I tried to email the CTO of Activision to get all the like Sierra game stuff. That's all the, when that article came out about the guy putting it on eBay, I was like, it's not like they need this. So I was like, I emailed him and I was like, how much would you want? Because like, you're not selling it. And then he was like, then I saw like a different article that was like Activision pulls back all the things on eBay. And I was like, oh my God, I hope that wasn't me. Um, but like, why don't they just give that stuff up? Cause it's like so easy. Like, and the communities for these can be really wild. When I was looking for the HP, HPUCS uh, OS software, right? If you Google for like, I just want to download an older version of this. There's, they have like forums on their website because, you know, I don't, I don't know why HP runs forums, but they do. And people writing like, oh, like I found this old computer, like where can I download stuff? And there's like forum, not trolls, but like the regulars of the forums say like, what do you think this is, Linux? Like you can't, you can't just download this. This is like a proprietary software. And it's just like, why are you defending HP here? Like, it's just randos. It's not people who work for HP, but they're getting all mad that someone is saying like, can I download this? And they'll be like, ah, oh, well, you can only get stuff under support. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't need, this is too old. Like, I'm not trying to make money. I'm not competing with HP. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be really cool. And like, God, Oracle is kind of the worst because they, they bought Sun and you can't. Shocker, shocking yeah. plot twist. <laughs> you can't download any of it anymore. And like Sun had it all available for free. To, like after like version, certainly during nine, but it might've been during Solaris eight, they made it available for free when it was new, right? And, and Oracle will only allow you to download, I think the newest versions. So I have a question. How has this this archaeology changed how you think about the present and, and maybe how you do work now? I think it's caused me to be more curious about how the OS is doing the things that it does. I think that, you know, it's definitely spurred me to, to you know, do reading of a lot more of these, like, uh, 
forget what that book is called, but like the, the design of the Unix operating system, things like that. Um, I think that it, it explains where a lot of the weirdness is of just what the, of how modern Unix computers work, where they came from, right? Like why, why is network order a different endianness, right? Like, well, because, you know, it was, you know, these companies doing it way back when. Um, weirdly, it helped me put things like the Spectre Meltdown disclosure like how to frame that in my head. Cause I, I don't think I would have known a lot about speculative execution and, and things without, you know, having been like, what is the deal with the chips in these computers? Right. Why, you know, these are all non Intel things. Like what, what was cool about that. Right. And, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, different chips had, you know, uh, what's the word super scalar setups and, you know, doing things out of order, like much earlier than a lot of the Intel things. And like, I, I believe that a good number of the pizza boxes I have should be susceptible, I think. That's kind of a like long-term goal. Like I want to get good enough at like programming for them that I could try and make a proof of concept for them, but. That'd be cool. To prove an exploit? Yeah, of, of whichever is the one for out of order. I. I now no longer remember the difference between Spectre and Meltdown, but, but yeah, I think that because they are simpler machines, it reminds you that it's possible to understand the whole machine. And, you know, maybe this is a little bit off of the pizza box topic. Like I, I sort of, I, I got conned, I conned myself into getting an Atari 500 or not an Atari, uh, an Amiga 500. And, and an Atari ST, which are like much more you know, home focused machines, but they're really simple. And the hardware is something that like, even though I, you know, I'm no electrical engineer and I, you know, am no, you know, microcode person or, or whatever, but I, I can understand like what they're doing on, on like with their bus layout and what all the, you know, why they have all these chips in these places. And it's kind of this reminder that like even modern computers aren't, so complicated that you can't like basically reason about like where you know data is flowing between different things and like what what are these chips even doing right like they're they're certainly much faster now and there's much more stuff in in small packages but but peeling back a few layers of the accumulation let's let you see it with a little more simplicity and kind of build build back up to the modern chips exactly yeah and i think i mean occasionally it'll come up that there'll be some quirk of the modern ones that makes no sense. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it's still trying to emulate this ancient thing. And it's like, oh, okay. But yeah. Uh, trying to think of other, I think it also reminds me that computers can be fun, which is like, you know, the hottest of takes, right? But like, it's really easy to be mad at computers and, and computer people is I think, <laughs> what I get mad at, right? I think that, I don't like software people. <laughs> and but the computers never did any wrong. Although right. they do all the time sometimes, but. <laughs> yeah, the computers are fascinating and they do exactly what you tell them to extremely quickly. And, you know, sometimes that's not quite what you wanted, but, but the, I, when like digging through development environments on these things and like looking, you know, reading manuals and just doing research, I don't have to interact with 
it being, you know, it's not my job. I'm not, I'm not, don't have the anxiety of it being about work, right? It's not, you know, some big popularity contest. I don't have like some, like, I love this brand. I want them to succeed stake in anything, right? It's all already done. People did argue about all this stuff. They were really passionate about all of it, but I, I'm using them like frozen at a point in time. And that means that I can dig in and just see like, well, what is this thing? How, how does this computer work? And you know, how did they put it together? Not, man, I really wish they had put it together differently. Like I, I'm not trying to do anything useful with these, right? Like I, I just want to know what they did. I want to know what it is like. What were their hot takes like? Yeah, I hope they were real good, right? Like, I mean, you ever check out the, the Unix haters handbook? No, I want that now though. I think it's on, I want to say it's on cat-v.org, but. Oh, I was looking at something like that then. Oh my God, wait, they take down the different Unixes. Like, I think so, yeah. And it's just like, it's so weird to think of being like, yeah, Unix is like a bunch of crap, right? And like it, it was at some point, right? Like there, there were much more mature operating systems you know, but like now that's like, oh yeah, like if you're serious, you're going to use Unix. Like what are these, you know, Windows server? List machines will rise again. I wish I could dig up some of those, right? The, ah. Oh. I mean, that's like alien technology compared to. You know. Seeing, you know, people do demos where they modify the OS while it's live. It's just like, how is this? You basically have a REPL on the kernel. Yeah. And like, you can get in so much awesome trouble that way. No, but, like catching the kernel is my favorite, my favorite feature to turn on and then also be horrified by. It's like, it's like running rails right on the chip, right? We'll just monkey patch some things. Yeah, just monkey, yeah, monkey, monkey patch string for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. You know, you just, just, you know, apt install you know, the uh, Christmas lights or something, you know, it, just don't pay attention to the fact that it's you know, intercepting all of your network traffic. So you, met, you mentioned earlier, you kind of day-to-day working on tools for managing Kubernetes. Where, yeah. like, in your, in your kind of mental space for where we are and, and, you know, where you are, like, what do you see that uh, evolving into and kind of what are you excited about or what's your hottest take about what's going on there? Oh, man. Well, a, a nice uh, connection between that and the pizza boxes is that I think that we're, we're on the verges of, of another Unix war, except with cloud-specific versions, right? So to give some context, I, I work at GitHub. We run most of our workloads on, on bare metal servers, and we run including Kubernetes, right? And when I see a cloud providers announcing like their different, you know, flavors of Kubernetes, it feels, it feels very much like a, they're not in it for what I think is the cool promise of Kubernetes, right? The, the idea that we can all agree on an abstraction for how you have a, a compute workload that runs on multiple computers, right? Kind of we can all agree on systems. Pardon? Sort of a POSIX for distributed systems. Exactly, right? And, and that's the, I think that's exactly what the metaphor is, right? The, the Unix process model, the idea of like a process is a thing that has 
you know, a memory space attached to it and it has open file handles and it can be swapped in and out of memory by the kernel, right? Like there's a lot of things about that process model that don't have to be that way. It works real good. Other things might have also worked real good, but we, we almost think of, we think of it as just a given. That's how you run stuff on a computer, right? And Kubernetes has this potential to be how we think of how we run stuff on some computers. But that's obviously not in the interests of cloud providers, right? I would love for them all to think of themselves as commodities. I think that that would be super dope for, you know, the way the world could grow, right? But they think of themselves as, you know, solutions providers, right? They, it's like how Comcast is like, we're not, we're not an internet provider. We are an entertainment company. And it's like, I get why you want to be like that, but I want you to be an internet provider. I, I want you to be a dumb pipe. And I want Kubernetes to be a pervasive spec for, you know, describing a workload and how it could run. And I think the biggest threat to that world coming is the cloud provider set, you know, GKE and AKS and whatever the hell it is that Azure, I should, you know, should probably know I, I work for them, but um, like, because they, they work slightly differently, right? Like uh, you look at things like how networking is configured for services running on, on Kube clusters, right? And, and you know, they all, they all do that slightly differently. The ingress spec didn't come until much later and that doesn't seem to be pervasively how it's done and it doesn't really cover all of the cases. So it's, it's kind of hard to advocate for, but like that they're all different on that, I think scares me because it, it's just the same lock-in. And like, I, I think people are right when they're like, you know, everyone doesn't need to be multi-cloud, totally. I just don't want, I don't want to be beholden to what they think is right because I don't think that they know. Um, I, don't, I don't think that, I don't think that Amazon or Google or Microsoft understands what most of the people who are trying to use their platforms want. And I don't want them to build I mean, I, that's part of how I work, right? How my team at GitHub approaches our problem, right? We focus a lot on integrating with the teams that we support and, and working with them to figure out what it is that they're trying to do and adapting our platform to be what, what they're trying to get done. Um, because in a vacuum, there's no way that I can produce a platform that's, that's what you need, right? I, I, as a infrastructure developer, inherently don't know really well what someone who's working on web front ends wants. And, and I think someone who's building a cloud doesn't know how someone who is running a workload that requires three servers, they don't know what those people want. They also don't know what people who want 300 servers want, right? They, they have hundreds of thousands. That's all they know. In some ways, I mean, kind of goes back to this, um, story you were telling before where everyone had their Unix. And I think that's kind of the metaphor you're building off of, but at the same time, like you kind of have to ship something like you can't, you can't like wait for that all to go into some committee and like come back out as like a pre big thing. So there's kind of, there's kind of like no way to win that. No, totally. And I, it almost feels like Kubernetes worked by accident, right? When I look at like, you know, where did it, you know, where it came from and what influences on it. And then now being largely like sort of, 
pushed along by the CNCF, right? Like I can't point to any of these things involved and say like, I think that that person has a singular crystal vision of where this could go and why it's working. I think that there's a lot of people with incomplete parts of it. Not, not obviously that I have the complete vision there either, right? But that it has this problem where like it, it's working, but I don't think anyone knows why. And, and I think that the guesses that people have for why are wrong. And that's why like I, I was at KubeCon Seattle. When was that? November or something. December. And like there was so many vendors who I couldn't tell what they were selling. Right. And it's like, I think you're trying to sell to me, but I don't know why I would want that. And it's like, everyone is building for use cases that they think that people are going to have, but there's not enough understanding of how people actually use these tools to build the right products. And, and I think that what exists in Kubernetes, I think is really cool. It, it's, it's almost, it's really good choices of abstractions for most of the lower level parts of Kube. I don't know how they managed to make such good choices for abstractions, because again, there's nothing that, that I can point to where I'm like, oh, dang, you know, I, I really think that they've got this, you know, down pat. They really understand the, the problem space, but, you know, they are good choices and they do work pretty well. So, I mean, I've heard various versions of this story from different people, but kind of like the butterfly wing flapping has to kind of go back to Brandon, Craig, Joe, whatever inside Google. And then at some point, once it's born into the world, then then it's just this snowball thing that, or, or, or now, now, like you said, you have like the moths to the flame basically. And everyone, everyone has to sell Kubernetes. I, mm -hmm. I got off, I got off the, um, Air, airplane in Vegas and was greeted by an advertisement for NetApp uh, managing Kubernetes clusters, right? So when, when Big Iron Storage is going all in to put airport advertising for Kubernetes clusters, you know, like something. Something's <laughs> happening. Yeah. Something is happening. I think though that it, it gets back to this. I don't think that people know how people are using it. Um, I almost would trust NetApp more than, God, you know, every random infrastructure startup. This is sort of. But in some ways, like, they don't, they don't care. They have their own FOMO, right? Like, they just need to be on this. They just need to be in the party. They just want to be able to say the words. Yeah. No, totally. But if they're selling, like, a product, you'd think that they'd want to, you know, speak to the customers involved and then actually, like, build a real product and, like. Uh, sh I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But this is, yeah, this is, you know, VC funded tech where, you know, the, the valuations are made up and the points don't matter, right? Like it's, there's. I mean, actually, I would say the, the majority of that money is actually coming from the kind of classic golden age of enterprise IT companies trying to reinvent themselves in the, in the new cloud party. Like when you look at all the booths that were at KubeCon, that's the, there's certainly some of these vendor um, that are coming from BC, but I'd say the majority of the money that's represented on the floor is like golden age IT vendors. I can see that. I'm curious if they're all using it in a way that does work for them, right? I went to this, um, this is like signs, the one. Signs point to no, but definitely. <laughs> yeah, ahead. no, absolutely, right? Like how how could they, but then I don't think that they're there trying to get people like, you know, GitHub to buy NetApp appliances. I, you know, 
don't speak for my employer. Maybe we do by now. I, I don't think we so, but you know, who knows? Um, but, but like, do you think it's a retention play? Do you think it's a, like people who use their products, you know, there are engineers in those organizations saying we really shouldn't keep spending all this money on this appliance or whatever when we can do it more easily with X. And then, you know, so it's so that the boss can say, but NetApp does Kubernetes. I feel like of the consulting gigs I've gotten, um, a lot of them are just like, we want Kubernetes, period. And I'm like, well, why, why, why do you, why do you think that you want Kubernetes? And then we like go down that path. But like, I'm not sure necessarily their engineers are the ones speaking up and being like, this might be dumb. Or like, maybe we don't need this. Or like your existing solution is working, although it seems like maybe they aren't, I don't know. It could be that, I mean, I see this sometimes where I even see engineers who say that they want Kubernetes and they don't know why, right? And I think that this is sort of, new things have fewer rules on them, right? When you're doing a proof of concept, you know, you're maybe not spending as much money. And so there's, you know, finance isn't telling you that you need to report on all the compute that you're using. And then you build out a platform and you say, look how easy this is. I can just dial up a cluster and then I can deploy stuff to it. And then like what you've actually built is a more, a faster way to not utilize EC2 instances, right? And it turns out if you can spend the money faster, people will like it. it the experience will be great because they can just do stuff, right? And it's that there's no controls being put on, you know, on new things, right? It's harder to put controls on something you don't know what it is. It kind of goes back to this point you made in the beginning when we were talking about the pizza boxes, where you felt like people used to know why they bought computers. And yeah. I feel like some of the earlier adopters who, you know, I, I would put GitHub in this category, they're running Kubernetes in production. They're running it at, at, at you know, relatively high scale with real workloads. I mean, obviously, GitHub's pretty big. Then, then there's kind of like this legitimized solution that everyone's like trying to get on that train, but they kind of lost that purpose. There's no, there's no real why. It's like, we just need more computers, right? We just need them. We don't know why. We, we'll figure that out later. We, we heard, we read in the CTO magazine that we need more of this stuff. So if, if it's not working, we're not using enough of it. Yeah. God, I see that with GPUs too. At several jobs I've been at, people have said like, well, we, we really need some GPUs for this. And like, that could be the case, right? But well, like we heard, we heard if we have GPUs, we can rub more machine learning on it. Yeah, when when the learning gets deep, that's when we'll make the money, right? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like also, <laughs> all of these frameworks can run on a regular CPU, and I feel like you can probably prove out your concept before we spend, you know, however much it is an hour for uh, like a an Amazon GPU instance, right? Or or heaven forbid, we start ordering cards, like. You know, like this is not, I don't know. Yeah, I think that new infrastructure allows you to, to just order those more computers. I, when you think about like, what are the computers doing, right? Like a thought experiment that I enjoy is, um, it's taking the Battlestar Galactica approach to computing, right? William Adama says, like, I will not allow a networked computer on this, on this spaceship, right? And it's, you know, plot reasons, right? Like, the bad guys can hack all our computers. But how would you run, you know, modern useful things without networks between your computers, right? What, what do we use networks for? Communication between individuals is the biggest one, 
right? But like, imagine, imagine movie distribution without networks, right? We, you can imagine like, uh, like, I mean, Netflix with their DVD distribution service, right? Like imagine if they just shipped a hard drive with, you know, a thousand movies on it, right? And you could cycle that out, but you do it less often, right? Um, you think about... I mean, we kind of lived that world before the networks were pervasive and as fast as they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like a lot of these computers like were not... Okay. I think that's me. Oh. He's, he restarts sometimes because his computer gets all echoey. I blame the fact that it's a Mac. It, you know, I, I will admit that I am currently using Windows, so. Nice. It, I have a Windows computer at home. This is a true fact. So. It's, it's not that bad now. This You're is my right. obligatory Microsoft shilling. It kind of <laughs> works. Um, Computers, they kind of work. Yeah, sometimes. But yeah, no, we, you know, we, humanity made it however long humanity has been around without networked computers until like approximately the 60s probably or the 70s and so you know it's it's doable and the amount of times that we actually need to transfer data are are pretty low right and and you look at things like internet of things devices right is there some way like me or maybe on network oops sorry on networks but not on the internet right what would there's got to be a model for these kinds of things, right? Like I've got the, the Wi-Fi light bulbs, right? But like, they don't need the internet. I just, I just need to be able to tell them to get slightly warmer in the afternoon, you know, like. Yeah, that's so true. Like a different protocol just for, just for communication, not for actually the entire internet. That's yeah. Cool. And I feel like I thought a lot about like ways of batching up network stuff. So this isn't necessarily taking yourself all the way off, but severely limiting it. Um, when I was growing up, because um, my family didn't get uh, didn't get off of dial-up until I was a uh, junior in high school. And then we got satellite because my parents live in the middle of nowhere and there's no high-speed internet options. And so when I visit them, I unplug. It's great. Um, but they, they eventually got satellite internet, right? Which comes with like greater than one second latency and um, uh, some like absurdly low bandwidth cap, right? So you can't really do, like you can't SSH to things and have like an actual experience, right? You can't do video calls without it being extremely awkward. And you can't watch YouTube without it using up the entire family's like monthly bandwidth allowance. And so it's like, well, you know, it's it's hardly a thing, right? And so as a as a kid, I spent a lot of time being like, how could I get the good things of the internet without having to use all of the bandwidth cap, right? And, and I mean, a lot of that was, you know, go to a friend's house, download something, take it home, right? Use their network. Yeah, exactly. But it's sort of this, like, sneaker net approach, right? Batch up all the stuff that you want to get, put it on, put it on a hard drive, go somewhere else. And, like, this is, this is kind of funny. I remember the Google Wave protocol being really exciting from that, from that perspective. And this is like an aspect that, of it that was probably totally pointless, but um, they had some papers about the protocol that they implemented Google Wave on. And you would have like federation servers for each Wave installation that would get all of the messages um, for that server, sort of like email um, or, you know, like, like federated Twitter setups where, you know, maybe you only need one message from one, you know, Mastodon to go to another one. 
and then you fan it out to all of your local clients, right? And, and I remember reading that and being like, oh man, that means that you could have like, you know, all the, uh, you know, if you're streaming a, a movie, right? Like that movie could go once to your local, like caching, you know, at your local ISP and then out to everyone, but it was, it was part of the design. And, you know, clearly that's wasn't enough to make it a worthwhile product, but. I honestly think that it was, Enough to be a worthwhile product, it just kind of got snuffed prematurely, like smothered in the crib because, you know, reasons. But like, there's no reason that Wave couldn't have basically been kind of what Slack became, except even more open. Yeah. It also had that really web 1.0 energy to it in a good way, right? Like it, I I feel like sometimes I've... uh, made fun of bosses of mine for being really into like the clue train manifesto and like these ideas of like, uh, it's just like, there's, there's this like super positive energy of like the early totally wrong, but weren't totally right either. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, these were some cool ideas. They completely don't scale and like, or, or like how Dave Weiner gets really excited about like, like graph, like mind mapping software. And it's like, I mean, Rock it would be the coolest thing ever, right? Like, I don't know. It hasn't really caught on, but like maybe. And like wave with this like super non-linearness. And it's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to comprehend it, but, but maybe, you know, it's, yeah. That's dope. Um, so I feel like we might have enough for a full episode, but um, do you have anything like one last thing that you want to like make sure to say or any or kind two of things? Oh man, I got to think of the hottest possible takes here. <laughs> um, I think that my like super earnest take is that like, I think it's cool to try out older technology and just like understand the context that it's in and like, like I was saying that, you know, people don't think about what they're using computers for. I think getting to a simpler time and trying to imagine what other people use computers for can train you to think about that in your actual life with real ones, right? Like, like it lets you practice that kind of anthropology on someone else in, in a low stakes environment, right? And then you can say, oh crap, why do I have all these computers in my house? And like, why do I keep upgrading them? I don't know. And, you know, it's a fun way to do that. So I can take the red pill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Take the red pill and forget all of, all of the things that you've learned about new computers. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Plus physical things are fun. I think that like, I definitely threw away all of my CDs of like a decade ago, but now I kind of wish I had all of them. Cause just like interacting with things, it's not a meaningless part of the experience. And like, yeah, you can get perfect digital copies, but you can't open the case. I think I have most of them. I just can't play any of them on anything. There was a point in time, like probably it was like two years ago. I, and I had no optical drives in my entire house and it's like, what would have happened if someone had been like, hey, check out this DVD. Like, check out what? Like, what do I do with this plastic? I mean, yeah. one of the 
rappers. We, we still used to- he gave me like a CD the other day, and I was like, "What do I? Where do I?" Is but we a- still use we still use the floppy disk icon for saving files. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Right. I I got a a mixtape that was an actual cassette from I think I ordered like some zine, and they're like, "Oh, like you can get a mixtape too." And I was like, "Hell yeah, I want a mixtape." I don't have a cassette player. I I haven't had a cassette player since I was a kid, and I don't even know where I would get one. Right. But. The physical objects are kind of cool. Absolutely. Cool. So um, that's a wrap. I'll press stop. See ya.